0: Theorizing that primetime audiences were ready for a new time travel series, NBC and creator Donald Belisario debuted Quantum Leap on March 26, 1989. Starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, the series followed Dr. Sam Beckett for five seasons of time hopping adventures, spawning novels, comics, and a fan base that has clamored for decades for a revival. Now, with Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett starring in a new version of the series that dangles just as many new threads as it does old ones. We'll ball the string up and explore the revival and the ways in which Quantum Leap has always entertained and inspired us, here on, oh boy.
1: Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap Podcast. My name is Nate, and with me is a co-host we can all see in here. it's Brian Martin. Hello everybody, welcome back. Here we are in the off-season. Yeah, the dead zone. In between, I guess we should mention, who knows when it'll come back, honestly. Given the state of the writer's strike at the moment, I mean, it really could push some of these things back quite a ways. That's a
0: really good point. The nice thing about the writer's strike right now, and there's nothing good about the writer's strike other than that it's happening and we stand with the WGA. Right. But at least we're on the end of a season. It's happening in between. And, you know, (laughs) what happened to some of our favorite shows back in, like, uh, I don't know, 2009? The last time uh, Strike really disrupted a lot of stuff, I don't think it's going to be as impactful this time on the just watching of things.
1: Well, yeah, I hope not. I know they were already filming the premiere episode of season two. Yes. So, like, they've already got several scripts in the bag, but my understanding is most people are standing with the WGA to the point where, like, the Teamsters aren't even running and it's just kind of shutting things down altogether. Oh, yeah. A um, lot of the
0: actors are standing in solidarity with WGA. You know, a lot of people have been throwing around Heroes as the example of what goes mm-hmm. wrong in a writer's strike. Right. My friend, I got to tell you, Heroes was not the biggest misfire that came out of the writer's strike. Oh, what are you pointing to? The worst movie I have ever sat through in its entirety in a movie theater, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. <laughs> Which filmed without a script. And it shows. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's funny. I think the worst one I ever sat through was LXG. Oh, that's terrible, too. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's what compelled writers to strike. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's really frustrating about that one was that I convinced my parents to go see that with me because i was like this comic is amazing you would love because my father's a you know a professor and and stuff. like oh you'd love what they did with this dad you should it's really creative you should go check it out and of course the movie as compared to alan moore's book something i'd call a far cry from the source material it was just dreadful
0: as alan moore would say fucking bollocks (laughs) it oh oh what an experience terrible absolutely terrible might it might have the same way I gave him volume one of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and said just check it out you're gonna love it and he did of course and then one night I didn't take him to that movie one night he was like hey uh, it looks like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen's coming on FX I said do not watch it <laughs> It's not whatever it. you do. Don't watch
1: this. The only thing about that movie that I did find interesting was the inclusion of Dorian Gray. I thought yes. that that could have been a really interesting thing and was kind of surprised it hadn't been played with in the books. I think it was just kind of some throwaway
0: imagery in there with him. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But that's neither here nor there. We're not really here to talk about the writer strike, and we're certainly not here to talk about LXG. Um, <laughs> something we will probably never mention again on this podcast. <laughs> well, I'm going to take that as a challenge. Um, <laughs> but no, we've got a lot to cover tonight. We're going to try and tackle three episodes. It's three episodes, but it all tells one cohesive story. It's a pretty ambitious Move on Quantum Leap's part. I don't remember a lot of three-part episodes Yeah, in the late 80s, early 90s of television. Of anything. But this show went for the fences, man. And I just want to point this out. First, we're talking about Trilogy tonight, yeah. which we've mentioned on this show a number of times mm-hmm. throughout the season. But we both revisited it recently. We've talked about original Quantum Leap once before. The Leap Home Parts 1 and 2. Right. And I think, by and large, Leap Home Parts 1 and 2 met or maybe even slightly exceeded my recollection Uh of them. Uh Trilogy met or maybe fell a little bit short for me. It's right in the same wheelhouse, but it didn't bowl me over on a rewatch the way that Leap Home did. This was also... A season of the show where I was watching week to week. It was the only season of the show oh, I watched right. week to week. Yeah, you I did um, not watch season five. So week this to is week almost like a it. month of television. <laughs> like True. When you shake it out, real like that. cliffhangers. Before we get too deep into the weeds on it, I want to kind of contextualize this because season okay. five of Quantum Leap, as we have discussed previously, is weird as shit. <laughs> they were throwing just about everything they could at the wall to see what stuck. And there are so many episodes of season five specifically that stand out in contrast to earlier episodes. So I made a list, not the least of which are the evil leapers. I assume. Oh, well, yeah, they're on the list. So these are some of, in fact, most of the episodes of season five, we've got the Lee Harvey Oswald two-parter, right? Kill in Time, which is the first time we see somebody <laughs> escape from the waiting room. Yeah, you've mentioned that is, one before. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, Starlight Starbright, which is the UFO episode uh-huh. of the show. The first Evil Leaper episode, which happens right before Trilogy. So Episode 7 is the Evil Leaper episode. Trilogy is Episodes 8 through 10. Following that, we get Promised Land. We get Dr. Ruth, where Sam becomes Dr. Ruth Westheimer. Right after Dr. Ruth, we get the vampire one. (laughs) Then we get two more Evil Leaper episodes. Then we get an episode about Marilyn Monroe. Then we get the episode that takes place in 1862. Then we get the Elvis episode.
1: Well, you may go to
0: college. And then the finale. Yeah. Season five is fucking bananas. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What can we do to stay on the air? They, they are just pulling out every possible stop they can. And some of them hit, and some of them don't, yeah. Some of them really don't. Just
1: listening to that list makes me feel like trilogy is more traditional than when you watch it in a vacuum as that's
0: com- kind of the wild thing. Yeah, yeah, like like it's definitely the more standard quantum leap episode. To the extent that I think this is the last time we have a courtroom episode in the series, <laughs> but it's like fairly pedestrian—a a trial courtroom episode. Right. I think the downtown area set yeah. was also used in a previous episode, the leap back when oh. when Al leap back. I think it's the same. Yeah, Sad. okay. So there's a lot in this episode that, whether intentional or not, calls back to previous episodes, seems a little bit quieter, especially coming off that bonkers Evil Leaper episode. Yeah, well, it's you very, know.
1: yeah, it's very self-contained in this small southern town. Everything takes place within a community of characters that you get to know. Yeah. Do you want to do like a brief synopsis? How do you want to tackle three episodes what? of television?
0: We've got part one. Uh, let's just start there. Okay. It's August 8th, 1955. Sam has leaped into Clayton Fuller, who is a sheriff in a small Louisiana parish. Immediately upon leaping in, he discovers a dead body in a river. And I just got to say, the makeup on that dead body, absolutely fantastic. It looks like it's been in the water for a while. It's bloated. It's like Greg Nicotero, eat your heart out, you know? (laughs) Sam... Comes to find that the last person to have seen this man alive is his daughter, Abigail Fuller, whom the townsfolk believe is directly responsible for not just the murder of this man, Bart Ader, but also his daughter, Violet, who went missing. Mm-hmm. And Abigail was the last person to see her alive. So, yeah,
1: so this little girl is basically just a pariah. In this town. Yeah. These are the first three thoughts that I had
0: when part one was airing.
1: When you were watching it again? but Yeah, I put it on, and these are the okay. first three things that
0: hit me. I can't wait to see if one of those three is the thing that I'm going to mention that hit me first. Okay.
1: It was such a nice leap in tease. You know, mm-hmm. when he comes in, and he's standing in the water, and it takes a minute to kind of understand where he is, and then you see the ore in his hand, and then, of course, the dead body
0: in the water below best kind of quantum leap tease best kind he's trying to put things together and he doesn't have the context yet and neither do you and you're just like exactly. wow i want to know what's going on here
1: yeah and what i started doing right away was kind of comparing it to our new show and some mm-hmm. of
0: the teases that we really liked about ben leaping in did you think of the same one i did the flight attendant the flight attendant episode exactly yeah that was exactly where my head went because the first thing you see is that knife that looks like it's got blood on mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and you find out oh wait no let's zoom out a little bit oh he. Cutting prime rib. Yeah. I might not have had we not had a discussion
1: on the podcast. And then the second thing that hit me like a ton of bricks is that different theme song. God damn that it. Season right, that's five it.
0: uses. That's it. I said that theme song so abrasive. It's like That's what I put in my notes. Super jazzy, like this weird, ridiculous, cartoony music. I remembered it. I haven't heard that version of it since like the early nineties. <laughs> and then I'm sitting here watching it again. I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember this." And then the more I listen to it, I'm like, "I can't listen to this anymore." It's and so bad. Listen, I am. I am a. I hate, 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 hate. The little button that pops up when I'm watching shows that says, skip intro. That is one of the banes of my existence. And Netflix introduced it around the time the first season of Stranger Things came out. Like, yeah, who's going to skip that? Stranger Things starts with this incredible opening title sequence with this incredible piece of music. And this really fucking patronizing button that says skip intro pops up. And I'm like, you know what? Anybody who clicks on that, I want to fucking murder them. Oh my god, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Like, like, you are not who this show is meant for. Like, immediately, it made me so mad. But I will tell you what, on parts two and three of this, I clicked that skip intro button with so much passion. Just waiting for it. I'm like, it's I cannot so do it
1: bad. again. Back when shows actually had intro music, Stranger Things is a very good example because it was as much a part of the story as anything else in that show.
0: That yes. music, it set a tone. It's setting a mood. Yeah, it set a yeah. mood, a tone. The X Files is another one that you mm, hear it yeah. and it's like, ooh, this is a part of the experience. You don't skip this. Right.
1: First four seasons of Quantum Leap, I could make the same argument. And then sure. for some reason, NBC, I assume. Thought we need this to be jazzy. Jazzy and up tempo. We... Yeah, like action.
0: Yeah, it's like the theme song from Quantum Leap and the theme from the A team had a baby. It's so awful. God, it does not work. And it does it starts not starts
1: trying to be action-packed and then goes into this really goofy refrain, like a mutilation
0: of the original music. Yeah, you're right. The worst part is the bridge. Yeah. Where it's like. <laughs> Here it's like. It's like so what awful. What are you? What is
1: this? It doesn't go with the imagery.
0: Not at all. Skip. Skip that. Yeah,
1: skip that. But the imagery is the third thing that hit me. And this is where I'm going to get in trouble with any of our fateful listeners. Mm. But, you know, the opening is like clips of other episodes, the different characters he's been. And just letting that wash over me. I just thought, man, this show's so much better. Yeah, I mean, so you forget when you're. Focusing on a podcast and spending so much time on Quantum Leap twenty twenty three, just remembering those episodes in the title crawl, I'm just like, God, this is so much better. Yeah, it's, it's like such it's like a, a little good show. reminder
0: of all the things you love about it. Even when you get a bad episode of Quantum Leap, it starts with this reminder of all the places you've been and all the people you've seen, and it's mm-hmm. just kind of nice. It's not really the fault of New Quantum Leap oh, so no. much as it is the fault of modern television where it's like there's just no time for this, I think television is worse for it. I would agree with that. I do like good good theme music, putting theme music with something. But, but- I'd really like to know the stats on how many people hit that skip intro button because I bet it's like 60 to 70% of people. At least. I think that's the problem. The networks are like, no, viewers don't like this sort of thing.
1: Yeah. The first time I really noticed not having a theme song was Breaking
0: Bad. Yeah, there's just that real quick. Lost was one for me. 24 was another one. Even Alias. That title sequence lasted 15 seconds. It was quick as heck. So Quantum Leap had an extraordinarily long one, too. I mean, that's a long theme song. Yeah, it's about, uh, I'd say, 45 to 50 seconds long. Yeah,
1: that's a long one because it's got the preamble and then it's got a teaser and then it's got its theme song. And then you can start watching the show. Like six or seven minutes in before you <laughs> yeah. get to the actual episode. <laughs> yeah, totally. That C-plus grade that I landed on is probably pretty even then.
0: They've my... got to have room to grow, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. Uh,
1: but those were the first three things. Like It just really hit me. I was like, wow, this is kind of like the show we've been watching. This is an interesting leap in. And thought, oh, my God, what's this music? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really enjoy this original series, and this episode is an interesting one to discuss, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it holds up really, really well. And I think part of that is the general timelessness of a show that is about visiting different eras. Yeah. There are some very surprising moments.
1: When you say it holds up, what were you thinking before you watched it, based on your memory?
0: Honestly, my memory of part two... All I remembered was the sex. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's, then. That's the only thing I remembered about it, and well, not even were all the 14 sex. When you were just watching part it. of the sex, I only <laughs> remembered part of the sex. The first part, I remembered a whole lot of it. I was sitting there, like whispering dialogue to myself. No kidding. As it was happening, okay. Yeah. I remember that first episode very, very well. The funny thing is, like, I'm not even sure it's the strongest episode of the three. No. Yeah. But it definitely feels like just a standard Quantum Leap episode at the outset.
1: At the outset, yeah.
0: Gradually, you find out, oh, there's more at play here. We're not quite done here as we go into parts two and part mm-hmm. three. I, the only thing I remembered about part three, honestly, was Sammy Joe and the scenes with Sammy no, Joe. And I knew those backwards and forwards, talking about Brigadoon. I remembered all of that stuff. Everything around it, I had forgot. So I guess what I remembered about the show, I enjoyed. There were some things when I rewatched it that I didn't pick up on the first time that I'm like, kind of maybe knocks it down a couple notches for me from what I recalled. Part two is where most of that happens. Yeah. Things I really loved about it. We meet the other Leapies. In this episode, like the people that Sam is going to be leaping into in later episodes. We meet for the first time in this first episode. Mm -hmm. And that is super cool. Yeah, it was just a neat thing that once we get to part three, we recognize the character he is the same as he recognizes it. It's a fun aspect. But yeah, let's just keep the focus on this part one.
1: right now. Yeah. Well, all three of these were written by Deborah Pratt. Yes. These are Deborah (laughs) Pratt episodes and she knows what she's doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: That being said, there's a through thread to these that has never sat well with me. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if some of that would kind of wash away, and it really doesn't. Part of me is glad for that, because I've given it a lot of thought prior, and another part of me is kind of like, well, gosh, I wish, you know, I wish my memory were a little more faulty. But the one thing I didn't remember is that Alf's dad makes an appearance.
0: Max Wright. (laughs)
1: Two names the, that stand out the to dad me in the from Alf.
0: <laughs> Max Wright. Yeah. Showing up as a doctor/slash coroner. He's great. That as voice, always. Yeah, that voice. absolutely love Max Wright. Mr. Late 80s to me. Alf was such a huge show in my household. And it wasn't for me, but I know enough about it that like that <laughs> guy it.
1: is unforgettable for some no, reason. Absolutely. You
0: know? <laughs> like like you remember Alf, and the next thing you remember is definitely Max Wright.
1: Yeah, right. And
0: I, anytime he shows up, I'm like, oh, that's the dad from ALF. Willie, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The other guest performer in this episode, and in all three episodes, actually, that's kind of stood out to me, uh, Meg Foster, who plays mm-hmm. Laura. Yeah. Laura Fuller, who is institutionalized throughout these three episodes. Yeah, right. But... Shows up both in this mental hospital and outside of the mental hospital. Meg Foster, John Carpenter's They Live, Mm -hmm. and Evil Lynn in the cinematic (laughs) Masters of the Universe movie. Mostly because of her eyes. I think she got a lot of acting gigs because of her very, very prominent blue eyes.
1: Yeah. Well...
0: She didn't have a whole lot to do in the first one here. No, she just had to stand there and look beautiful slash (laughs) creepy. Like towing the line between beauty and just creepiness. Yeah. That was the deal there. That's right. That's right. The framing of this episode
1: really leaves me wondering whether Abigail is guilty or not. Yes. Yeah. And I have to believe that's intentional and not just the actress. But I feel like it kind of affected my feelings for that character in the later two episodes. Okay. Because I never warmed up to the character of Abigail, because I kept expecting it to turn. She played it like mm-hmm. any one of those children from The Omen. I didn't do that, you know. Where I didn't do it, Dad. She and of like, course, I didn't Sam's... do shit. Yeah. And Sam's gonna go ahead and believe that because it's the little girl that's looking up. Oh, is up Sam at
0: him. ever gonna believe it?
1: Yeah. And. Oh, she's totally guilty. Oh, she totally pushed that girl into that well. Yeah, she bashed that man's head in with an (laughs) oar. (laughs) I'm still not entirely convinced she didn't do that. (laughs) Right, after the heart attack? Well, I guess guess it's implied after the fact
0: that no, she's completely innocent. Well, I will tell you that I think the the big takeaway from this episode is that parenting a special needs kid is very tough. (laughs) (laughs) Whether your kid is on the spectrum or cursed... Cursed. It's a tough gig. Cursed.
1: Yeah. Even by the end of that episode, you're not completely
0: sure that she's innocent. No, it becomes a situation where it's like, protect the child because the child's a child. Right. Not because the child is necessarily innocent. Uh, the biggest clue to me that she was not innocent, she didn't see Al. Al. She didn't see Sam. All the honest kids see Al. <laughs> <laughs> I did think about that for a
1: second, but I wondered if it was maybe just there's like an age cutoff I think for I think there's an age something. cutoff. I think the age cutoff
0: is eight. Whatever Troyan was in that episode. <laughs> Troyan Belsario, she was only like four or five in that episode, I think. So, yeah. 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 But there is a cutoff, I'm sure. The age of innocence comes to an end. Obviously, after your arch nemesis in elementary school dies mysteriously, you, <laughs> you left lose the age innocence.
1: of innocence. <laughs> lose that innocence. What did you think of that actress?
0: Child actor, granted, but eh. eh yeah, yeah. I mean, she did fine i will say i think i liked her a little bit better as sammy joe but i don't think she was great at acting like i think she did a great job of hiding in that cabinet (laughs) (laughs) some of her best work (laughs) that was i think that was her best work but i think when she's like freaking out like i didn't kill anybody you know like those scenes are the roughest and the the scene that mirrors that with sammy joe in part three is the one where she won't go into the kitchen pretty mellow kid to just freaking out i was like um, that's funny
1: I, i'm actually on the other end there i kind of felt like when she was trying to cozy up to dad or trying to have that heartfelt moment with her father you know mm-hmm. tell me all the ways you love me daddy you know maybe it's the accent she's trying to put on it's just
0: it, i was just like yeah all right she does uh, that a couple times i'm like how many times does this guy gotta tell you how many ways He loves you. I guess. Wait till episode two. He'll tell you all about how much he loves you.
1: (laughs) I mean, it must be a thing that he and she have, like the dad and the daughter have, you know? Sure, yeah. But both times that she stops him from what he's thinking or saying, it's an act that says, you're getting too close. Stop. Tell me this other thing instead,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which makes you think maybe she really did do these things because as Sam is probing her for information she stops him. Tell me all the ways you love me. And then, you know, what do you do at that point except change the subject?
0: Now, Nate and I were talking before this show about our love of crime stories and noir. And tell me, Nate. Yeah. Classic femme vital behavior right. is to almost be cornered and then change the subject to, oh, hold me. Yeah, exactly. And it's
1: very similar. Yeah. Like, I I don't know how you're supposed to feel about her. Like, are you? Well, I think
0: that's deliberate. I do think in part one, that is deliberate because if we could be completely confident that she was innocent of everything, then Mm -hmm. what are the last two parts standing on, especially part three, which is all about her going to trial for every problem they've had (laughs) over the last 20 years? True enough. I think that is deliberate. I think it's meant to be a bit ambiguous. Okay. Yeah. uh, Probably good for an act one. There are a lot of moments in part one of this show that don't really make sense or we don't have the full context for. Specifically as they relate to Laura, Clayton's wife who is institutionalized. But that doesn't stop her or Sam from having visions of her in this house. He sees her on two different occasions in the house, one of which... Absolutely creepy as hell the first time. And then he's first looking episode, out a window yeah. and then he turns and he sees her in a hallway and the door slams shut and then he opens it and she's gone. Yeah. And then he she, sees her again at the end as the house is burning down. He sees her kind of in the flames. And we're right. never quite sure is he hallucinating this? Is she an apparition of some sort? What is the physicality of this presence here? Right.
1: Well, by the end of that, I think you're supposed to assume that she was there to start the fire.
0: Well, certainly by the end of this whole thing.
1: By the the (laughs) end, yeah. By the end of the third episode. Is this canonical evidence that dying in a leap does not kill the leaper? Clayton definitely dies. We know this. Right.
0: But it doesn't kill Sam. But he leaps out just as it's happening. I think it's on the margins, Nate. I think it's like Sam was leaped out. And then Clayton leaped back in. or Just to die. And then immediately died. Yeah. And you might think, wow, that sucks for Clayton, doesn't it? But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, no, it doesn't suck. Because I think Clayton is the villain of this episode. <laughs> really? Yes. I think Clayton is the villain of Trilogy. Okay, string that one for me. So Clayton had his wife institutionalized. Well, she was
1: pretty crazy.
0: Yes, yes. Granted, he covered up. I think whatever connection his daughter had to Violet's disappearance, it was really just Lita Aider's word against everybody else. Uh huh. And I think if there had been a real investigation into Violet's disappearance, maybe none of this would have happened. Did he cover it up, or did he just close the book and she assumed? I think think it's implied. It's implied that he covered, like, I don't think he covered it up deliberately, but I definitely don't think he did his due diligence. She felt like he closed it too early, but they didn't have anything. But I mean, like, that's the point. That's the point. They didn't really have anything.
1: <laughs> at that point, what's he supposed to do? Although, you know, you find her in a well, might be one place that you look. If right. If you're looking for a
0: lost child. Maybe we could look at the boarded up well that suddenly has a big hole in it. That has a it. big hole in it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think I'm okay that Clayton Fuller ends up dead at the end of this.
1: So you think the mission was complete and he just happened to be leaping out as...
0: No, I think his mission was done. Yeah. Mm. For all intents and purposes there, Sam's mission was done. He had to get Abigail out of the house. Even if he ended up
1: killing the host.
0: Well, he didn't do that.
1: He did. <laughs> He's the one that jumped in there. He could have acted to save both their lives. It seems to me that in most cases, in most episodes of this show, the resolution would have been to have them both survive. How often has the host that Sam was in died?
0: That's the only one. Yeah. That's the only one I can think of.
1: The other question I had is, it's so often that Al doesn't have any information for them at the beginning. (laughs) yeah <laughs> I mean, yes, it's really pretty often. they have to spend some time there and get to know what they might be there to do before Ziggy really has anything to go on. In our revival here, Ziggy is a hundred percent right a hundred percent of the time and immediately knows why Ben is there. And that's not the case with the traditional theories. And in this particular episode, Al shows up and he's got nothing. And it's because the big flood.
0: The flood of 71.
1: Yeah, destroyed all the records in the small towns. It's just such a different dynamic to be kind of lost in solving a mystery as you go, Mm -hmm. which I really enjoyed. I was curious, like, when they have absolutely nothing... And Al shows up and says, well, I know all of the things that you already know. Did he try to talk to Clayton? Because Clayton is in the waiting room. Right. And in later episodes, even in this trilogy, yes, they talk about... <laughs> Interactions. Yeah, with the Leapy. And yeah, it doesn't even mention having tried to talk to Clayton to see if he even knows anything about what's going on in this
0: small town. I think it's more evidence that, that backs up my theory that Clayton's an asshole. <laughs> He just didn't want to tell him anything? I don't know. The big moment is in part three when Al shows up and talks about what a kook Larry Stanton is. Yeah. It's really wonderful. (laughs) But that's like, that was part of the accepted process. That before Al would even show up in the imaging chamber, there would be some sort of interview with the host. Right, because that's
1: how they find out where he is most of the time. They don't just have the quantum signature that Ian's able to pull out of the air. Yeah. Do you have anything else in episode one? Because my next comment kind of leads into episode two.
0: Just how hilarious is it that when Sam is rushing back to save Abigail, he inadvertently runs over his housekeeper? (laughs) Yeah, we need something to slow him down. He just hits the absolute shit out of her with that car. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's amazing to watch. Like, he's like, ah, (laughs) Yeah, Get in the car. Your leg's broken. I'm in a rush. Great job. In the original history, I bet her leg didn't get broken. (laughs) But yeah, that's all I got for part one.
1: If you're constructing this three-act show and these three-parters, it's such an odd decision to have Sam be Abigail's father in the first episode. Because that relationship is forged very quickly in the trauma of a young child and the role of a parent. Yes. I mean, that yeah. parental role is believable. Like, put aside the fact that we knew where that relationship was going. If you could go back to this is the first time I've seen this episode, that relationship is all about this damaged little girl and what she has gone through and what he as a father can do to alleviate any of that stress and trauma. Yeah. So for it to immediately... <laughs> immediately immediately
0: turn into a sexual relationship. Like as fast as Quantum Leap could possibly make it happen. Literally. This is the only time Sam leaps in mid-coitus. <laughs> I mean, he's been in
1: some compromising situations before, but naturally you would think that as soon as he became aware of who this woman was, that he wouldn't jump
0: out of that bed in two seconds flat. Look, here's the thing. Here's my barometer for this, okay? Nate, I think we can agree that Leah Thompson is a beautiful woman. <laughs> <laughs> I dare say Marty McFly could agree right. that Leah Thompson in her 20s is a beautiful woman. Yes, sure. In Back to the Future, Leah Thompson, no matter what age she is, is Marty's mom. It's still mom. Yeah. Right? He's not... Doing stuff with her, regardless of her advances. Right. And I feel like this is sort of along the same line. The relationship here is a very sticky wicket. Almost a converse
1: of that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long he spent as Clayton. Several days. Yeah, a few days. For Several sure. days of parenting this child. And then you're in bed with that child 11 years older. This stuff disturbing
0: by description sam beckett as i understand sam beckett would upon realizing that that is abigail would jump out of that bed yeah exactly jump out of the bed and try to cover himself up that's what sam beckett would do but that's not where it begins and ends in this episode sam beckett acts completely out of character for the entirety of of part two of Trilogy. Which is
1: what's so surprising when I found out Deborah Pratt wrote this. It almost seems like she had an end point in mind. Mm-hmm. And yep. wrote what she had to write to get there. Because not only does he not jump out of bed, he realizes who she is and doubles down on that Doubles shit. down.
0: Like, really like, doubles down.
1: Like, you've got to be kidding me. How do you not look in this woman's
0: eyes and see that little girl? Sam is so horny for abigail in part two of trilogy guys it's june 14th <laughs> it's 1966 it's 11 years 11 years later yes. which makes abigail 21 at this point sam has leaped into will Gunnerson Kinneman, who was briefly seen in part one as a 16 year old sort of consoling abigail Right. And that's one of the coolest little scenes in part one is where you see them kind of together and he's trying to make her laugh and, and she's feeling normal for once. And it's yeah, just a subtle little thing.
1: Yeah. And there's enough there to kind of connect the dots that, well, sure, they could end up in a relationship It's later. a small
0: town. Slim Pickens, right? He already cares about her. Yes. And yeah. so Sam has leaped into Will Kinnaman complete with stutter, which mm-hmm. is kind of fun. And... There is yet another instance in this leap of Abigail being uh, harassed by, by yeah. townsfolk who believe that she has done something with a child in their parish. The child is vanished. Nobody knows where the child is, and everybody's pointing their fingers at Abigail.
1: Yes, because of her tragic history. And the is...
0: fact that Lita Ader's still there. Just Ader, still, spinning lies.
1: Yeah, still stirring the pot there. And Abigail and her whole family has been saddled with this curse of the death of both Victoria and her father. And she's never completely exonerated of that. No. So she's carrying it with her into part two and into a marriage with Kinneman. So
0: one of the cool things right out of the gate with this episode is that the sex you remember look all i'm gonna say is scott Bakula can sell some passion (laughs) like i mean you see scott Bakula. like yes this man knows how to treat a woman but this is one of the few times where sam immediately sees the ramifications and outcomes of a previous leap he's kind of remarking trying to remember what happened there was a fire and she got out meaning abigail and i didn't i leaped and he died yeah he being clayton like he kind of puts the pieces together there and it's A little bit disarming for him, I think, Mm -hmm. to know that I left and then he immediately died. Yeah. It's a neat moment. And that is is one of the moments in this episode that is Sam at what I would expect (laughs) Sam to be. (laughs) (laughs) It's
1: short lived, though. And the rest of the episode is all about getting back to Abigail and how much he loves Abigail and why, like,
0: why. Yeah. I love this girl. You don't understand us, Al. It's like he's like a teenager. Yeah. Let alone that he's like a 40-year-old man in love with a 21-year-old girl. So this is... I do like that he could be honest with Al about it, though.
1: Yes. That relationship between he and Al is such that he can be honest with his failings. Like The good thing is that he knows that he can't have these feelings. But it's never frowned upon that, hey, this was my daughter... But it is kind of frowned upon that I'm not Will Kinneman.
0: But the episode provides, <laughs> however forced it is, a permission structure for you to accept these things. What right? is that? Because I never did. So, okay, I'm not saying you have to accept it, <laughs> but the show <laughs> is trying to force you to accept it. Yeah. A- largely through Abigail's response, like when she's talking about one instant you were Will and the next instant it was like you were someone different. Yeah. I felt so connected to you. And this is the thing this episode really, really does. It creates this idea that Sam and Abigail are in some way like cosmically intertwined, Mm -hmm. like they are being pulled together. And I think that's the reason Sam is so emphatically in love with Abigail. And he's talking about it all the time because we've seen Sam entangled with other women in honeymoon express which we go back to all the time he has a whole dialogue with al talking about how it's not ethically right to sleep with someone you're not in love with right right so for sam to even be in a situation like that with abigail regardless of how much control he had in the outset or not for him to not profess love would be betraying his character he's got to be in love with her in order to make this sort of Reconcile, yeah. yeah,
1: but it's because really... it's
0: not morally correct for him otherwise. The show has no choice but to take that approach given the circumstances they're putting him in.
1: Yeah, the problem is that it becomes a love potion number nine situation. Yeah, there's no reason or explanation for why he feels that way, and other
0: than the fact she's fine. Well, I you mean, know, she's fine
1: though. <laughs> uh, Michael Scott sure seemed to think so. <laughs> Um, yeah, we should say Abigail as a 21 year old woman is played by Melora Hardin, who plays yep. Jan Levinson Gould on The Office, which was bugging the shit out of me when I was watching this because <laughs> I did not put it together. Because until you couldn't Go- figure it out until, until Google yeah. told me. Yeah, I-, I was just like, what? Who whose face is that? That is somebody I know.
0: See, and you I, it's like me and Meg Foster. I'm like, oh, that's Evil Lynn. <laughs> well,
1: you knew it right away. I, I did I was know it. Not, I knew the name. <laughs> I did not know where that face was. Did you that's know really it right funny. away? Did you like, oh, that's Jan from The Office. No,
0: I did not. I did no. not. And it's mostly because it's so dark <laughs> when you see her at first. But uh, yeah, that's who plays Abigail in episodes two
1: and three of Trilogy and is the love of Sam's life inexplicably.
0: Sam's actual wife was supposed to be the love of his life. <laughs> yeah, we well, talked about that previously too. Like maybe she wasn't supposed to be and Sam well, willed it into existence, right? And
1: I'm going to get into that with this. Poor Donna. Yeah. I mean, that's the crux of the problem with this trilogy for me. Doesn't ever sit well because that character exists. And I liked that character. Of I Donna. liked Donna. Oh yeah, of course. And there's not a lot to like about Abigail. What are we supposed to like about her?
0: She's she fine, but she's got too much baggage, you know? She's like that classic girl. It's like, well, she's great and all, but you don't want all the stuff that comes along with it. Right. I mean, that's not a good thing. That's not a character to want your hero to be with. No, I have a theory about all of this. Share. This all happened in the event there was a sixth season of the show. Well, it's definitely setting up the future. It sets up too much, and this episode in particular... Sammy Joe is like a chosen one figure. Yeah. Abigail literally says at one point, our bodies were made to be together. Yeah. And then Sammy Joe is the outcome of that. Spoilers, part three of Trilogy introduces Sammy Joe Fuller, who is Sam Beckett's actual daughter. Right. So I'm just sitting there thinking, this really suggests that Sammy Joe is going to be some sort of I don't even know how to explain it other than chosen one that has been created by fate or time or God or the accelerator in modern speak. Whatever Mm -hmm. is controlling the leaps has kind of pulled these two people together. And then Sammy Joe is an active part of project quantum leap in the future. And spoilers again, she's working on a way to get Sam home. Right. Tell me that's not season six. There was something in there that they were Definitely planning on revisiting later.
1: Yeah, they were trying to set something up. That's for sure. It's just such a betrayal of what they'd done already. Yes. There's never an understanding for me for why he likes her so much. And conversely, the relationship with Donna, that I did buy. Oh, easily. And... I never had an understanding of why Sam was so in love with this woman when they have little to nothing in common. And the only relationship that we know them to have is a parental relationship. Could this be some sort of
0: reverse (laughs) Stockholm syndrome? It's weird. (laughs) It's definitely (laughs) weird. Being thrust into a situation where you are so emotionally invested in this character as a child, only to meet her as an adult having similar life issues... Yeah, but whom you're ridiculously horny for (laughs) I mean, let's face it, we haven't been in that situation. I don't know how I'd react to it The
1: framing that they're trying to put on this relationship is that Sam constantly cares about her well-being. Yes. But he's also so randy for her and can't be around her (laughs) He's like, I'm looking for this lost child in the woods because I can't be around her. Like I said, it's a betrayal to Donna who's a character that he went out of his way to make sure that this woman was emotionally stable enough to marry him. In an episode that's literally called Star-Crossed.
0: <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's,
1: it's not subtle. Starcrossed lovers across time. And you might be able to just kind of wave that shit aside if the leap back didn't exist. It all comes flooding back how much he loves Donna. And that he'd been missing her all this time. Yes. And he rushes back to her. And then it's this gut-wrenching, I have to leave again. And there's a finality to that relationship that says, okay, these two are meant to be together. Mm-hmm. And that is why it's so hard for
0: viewers to deal with Sam not going home. To put it into context, we saw Donna last about a season before this happened. Yeah. Right? It was the season premiere of season four. Four, I think was The Leap Back right okay. so Donna is not a character that we're not thinking about at this point it's been maybe 30 episodes
1: there's this touching moment at the end of The Leap Back where Al is speaking with Donna talking to her about where Sam is right now out on now. the balcony
0: looking up at the stars yeah yeah great moment
1: yeah and it's Where is he now? Well, he's a stand-up comic in the 50s, and he's got to save this little girl from this thing, and they talk about, well, it's really hard for me, but I know he's out there doing good. And it's a great moment, and it shines a great light on her, and I don't ever get the thought out of my mind that he's cheating on her with Abigail. And all of these feelings that he has with Abigail are just, I mean, that's sucks. And if you're Donna and you're privy to the information about where your husband is and what he's doing, and if you're Al, what kind of information do you bring back to her? Oh yeah, like he's um completely in love with this other woman. He's totally
0: Randy for a 10-year-old Donna.
1: Oh, uh, it's, so, it's so hard for me to separate those. And that's the feeling that I walk away with From all three of these episodes. I don't want the two of them to be together. That ickiness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because A, the child parental thing. B, he's supposed to be with Donna in my mind.
0: Yeah. I think it's a fascinating idea. I think these three episodes, it's a great idea. It's a fascinating story that is just very complicated because Donna exists.
1: So bring Donna back. See Terry Hatcher. You know, like, I kind of feel like that story could be told with Donna's character in the past. Mm. And then Sammy, like Sammy Joe is the daughter of Sam and Donna, even though he fathered her child in another body. <laughs>
0: in another body that was a guy that I guess she was involved with that wasn't Sam.
1: <laughs> I guess so. I don't I know. Mean, it opens up well, a she of worms, was, think. She was to
0: be married before him. There was another guy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she left him at the altar, right? Yeah. So the other big tell here is that, and this is where Sam is maybe the most out of character in part two. He doesn't really try to protect Abigail. He goes back to boner. Yeah. And when he does, he he comes <laughs> comes out afterwards, and is is talking to Al. He's like, "Will Stutter is gone." Noticeably, <laughs> after sam has has had his way with abigail and he said will is gone <laughs> all yeah. that remains is beckett <laughs> yeah <laughs> he said everything from will was gone which is yeah. a nice way of saying that's my seed in there that was definitely
1: me yeah, yeah. i did that and it's It's another ham-fisted way for the story to force us to believe that the two of them are star-crossed. Exactly.
0: Honestly, I think all of this... uh, Do you have anything else to say about part two? Because I feel like we can kind of segue to part three now.
1: Go ahead and segue. That sounds good.
0: Well, I think that's what makes part three so delightful for me, is that... We've seen Sam in these bodies of people that bring with them a closeness to Abigail mm-hmm. that simply is not present in part three. Right. It's July 28th, 1978, and Sam has leaped into Larry Stanton, who is an attorney we've seen in part one and part two. Mm-hmm. You find out he left that parish shortly after the events of part two and has been living in Baton Rouge with one <laughs> of the most abrasive characters in this three-parter and that's including lita ader and characters like that man talk about a character that you are just supposed to hate outright partly because she's overweight and partly because she's a racist (laughs) but she's definitely played for comic relief I was like like, holy moly yeah out of the gate like she comes in and that scene with her trying to seduce Larry as Sam is looking in the mirror and seeing this weathered older version of Larry Stanton great leap in like especially considering how horny he was in the last episode talk about a bucket of cold water (laughs) i almost feel bad for her for a moment because al comes in and is like boy i'd hate to be stuck with her you know well you feel bad for a second yeah there's a knock at the door and it's marie the uh housekeeper that sam once ran over with a car uh, <laughs> and a surrogate mother to Abigail, basically. Yes, she's been Abigail's surrogate mother ever since her father passed away in that fire that Sam got him stuck in. <laughs> and she's asking for Larry's help because now, finally, after like 20 years or so, Abigail has been formally charged with murder. <laughs> and Larry's wife comes out and, like, throws the N-word out there. And I'm like, yeah. wow, holy Holy cow, this was definitely an early 90s broadcast TV show, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. You're not going to get that anymore outside of, like, FX.
1: Yeah, it's really strange. It comes at you like a curveball because it's not the issue that the show is tackling.
0: It's just there, yeah. It's just it's just there, and it's, it's treated so casually, but I think that's to the show's benefit. Again, this is a show about time they travel. They wouldn't do that now. No, it would never happen now, but I'm yeah. thinking, like... Well, that's probably exactly how this person would respond. Yeah, to Marie, you know. And so, Sam has the proper response. One hundred percent. You know, yeah. he
1: does exactly what you should do in that situation. It's definitely played that that woman is wrong. Yeah, that Al that calls her is wrong, yeah. Miss
0: Racist in a Moo.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. But it is a shocker just to open your episode with that because we've seen this character twice before in a small town in Louisiana where none of that existed. None of the characters that she interacted with treated her with anything but respect in the prior two episodes. Yeah. And now it's like 1978. Yeah. And it it was uh, weird. Yeah. Definitely a shocker there. One thing I will say does kind of bleed back into the last episode. You mentioned it briefly how Abigail felt like Will was somebody different when Sam leaped in. right? Yeah. It made me think a little bit about the leap host and the things that they talked about in our revival series. You know how we've talked about the support group or Leaphost? Yes. Yeah. It made me think of this other side of the story where what, what about these people who have had interactions with Sam in a scenario like that, or perhaps another Leaper where so-and-so's behavior was so different. I was married to this man for three years and... Suddenly he acted completely different for the span of a week and he was like a different person and gone.
0: But you know what you're describing? That
1: exists. It was called Jerry Springer. (laughs) True enough. (laughs) But yeah, I just felt like it's another facet of that same idea. And Will has disappeared by episode
0: three. Yeah, it turns out they did not get married because they could never quite recapture that spark. But Will has moved out west, become an author, and is by all accounts living a wonderful life. And that's yeah. all we get about Will. Yeah. That's, that's it. Now,
1: is there an author named Kinnaman? It kind of felt like one of those kiss with history situations. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A like little maybe bit. Maybe
0: there's a thing here. The only Kinnaman I can think of is that one from Suicide Squad. Joel Kinneman. Joel Kinnaman. Robocop. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's um, the one we're talking about.
1: <laughs> no, I don't think that's him. But when she said that, I did think, well, maybe his experience blacked out for a week on his wedding night. Like, maybe that's why they're not together. He doesn't remember any of that, right? If he was blacked out.
0: Yeah, maybe so. You know? maybe I mean, so. That,
1: that would definitely affect a relationship, I would think. His blackout could have caused him to leave his 9.9% chance baby. Yeah. <laughs> 9.9% chance that that child belongs to Will Kinivance. That's not bad. Had worse <laughs> odds. See, Jerry
0: Springer. Or that's more of a Maury th- Yeah, it's a Maury Povich thing. So, Abigail's trials and tribulations, literally and figuratively, in this one. Well, the good news is Lita Ader is dead. The bad news is that's the murder that Abigail is suspected yeah, of having committed. Abby killed her. Yep. Lita was found <laughs> dead in abigail's kitchen with her throat cut open now once and for all the town has just had it with this woman
1: (laughs) yeah well they were gonna string her up in the last episode so oh yeah they were actually gonna hang her her. in the middle of town yep (laughs) so i think they already had it with her
0: i kept thinking i probably would have moved out of that town by now well that's what larry did larry stanton was like the hell with this yeah And he got out of there and in the original history larry did not take the case And Abigail ends up dying in the electric chair in 1984. So that is Sam's mission here. Well, one, save Abigail from that fate. But two, save Sammy Mm Joe. You know, her name's Sam. What are the odds? Pretty good. Pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) And Sam determines that he's also there to save. Sammy Joe. Right.
1: I'm not a big fan of Sammy Joe as a name. Samantha Josephine. Yeah. That's definitely Louisiana. 100%. Um,
0: And we got to call her Sammy Joe. Al implies that Sammy Joe is still what she's going by as an adult working at the project.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, 91.1% chance Sammy Joe Fuller is Sam's daughter. And that really flies in the face canonically. Of our new series. Yes. I'm having more and more difficulty squaring this as the same continuity. These are the types of things. And this is a big one. Leaping just works differently now. Mm -hmm. And at some point they're going to have to explain that. Or at least say that now the technology doesn't work the same way. That's why there's no waiting room. Because it's absolutely Sam's body. If the genetic material that makes up sammy joe is that of sam beckett then his body was physically there there's no way around it no way around it right and yeah they're not doing that at all but then they want it to be the same universe you know it's just it's a real problem maybe whatever those of us who like canon
0: (laughs) well maybe whatever sammy joe was working on at project quantum leap to bring sam back did not work to the extent that it completely altered how quantum leap works And she was like, maybe I screwed this up, guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are... I might have made it worse. There are things that can be done to square it. I'm sure there are ways to write around this to say things have changed. But somebody needs to tell that to us. And it's got to be better than a gravity-assisted navigation through time. It's got to make sense
0: for me. Surely they have had conversations in the writer's room of this current show about Sammy Joe and whether or not to make her a part of this series. Right. Do we think she's going to show up? She has to, right? I don't think so. I'm worried that the answer to that question is no. I feel like she has to, but at the same time, Quantum Leap as a series is a very easy to explain and understand show. Sam Beckett's sleeping through time. Al appears as a hologram. He helps him through. They go to the next life. That's it. Right. Right. So the only two things you need to be aware of on this modern revamp is the fact that Sam Beckett was out there and Al was the hologram. Yeah, sure. They pepper in some of that evil leaper stuff, but who knows if they're actually going to uh, pull the trigger on that at some point. Right. Sammy Joe feels like a footnote in this context. I mean, I know who Sammy Joe is. And mm-hmm. you know who Sammy Joe is. And mm-hmm. I dare say most of the fans out there who have been thinking about a Quantum Leap revival for decades are well aware of who Sammy Joe is. Mm-hmm. And the show itself, and this is why I brought it up when we were talking about part two, this show posits that she's created in the interest of serving this show's narrative, both by the writers, certainly, on this like mm-hmm. real-world level, but within the show itself, Cosmic forces have aligned these two people to create mm-hmm. this chosen child. You are the chosen one. Who, yeah. by the end of the leap, surprise, surprise, is directly involved with the project that Sam Beckett is, right? Yes. Like it's just right. there is something there. Anybody who watched that original series walks away from it feeling like that's where the future of the show was going. Somehow, in some way, Sammy Joe was going to have something to do with. All of this. So we come right. into this new show. I say that's one of our top expectations. Like Sammy Joe has got to be addressed at some point.
1: Outside of the actual narrative of the shows, out here in the real world, there have been revivals in the works that involved Sammy Joe. There was an
0: attempt, I believe, in the sci fi
1: channel yep. in the early aughts.
0: Yeah, I think it was like the mid-2000s they were talking about like a TV movie or something. A TV movie that would have been a
1: pilot for a new series that was all about Sammy Joe. Yep. This stuff has been on the radar for any fan that's been paying attention. Yes. And while I agree that she's sort of a footnote if you're new to the show, I do agree with your assessment there. However, I also feel like the revival has leaned very heavy into lore. I mean, they, yeah. they make an effort to remind you that this old show exists. They operate almost as though they expect you to know this stuff already. Yes. Yeah. The revival works in a way that says, well, we're playing to fans who already have a base knowledge of what this is, so we're going to skim over any real explanation and move on. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna mention Sam anytime we get. And we're gonna have Magic have a relationship with Al. And he's gonna talk about Al on the regular. And we're gonna see Al's wife. And we're gonna talk about like they expect you to know this stuff.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Or at least they act like their audience knows this stuff. Really,
0: and so- yeah, and I take that back. If Sammy Joe is a footnote, then Beth would also be a footnote. They both have about the same impact and screen time. <laughs>
1: In the original series of
0: Quantum Leap. And the show went out of their way to bring Beth into it. And so it would be foolish if the show did not include Sammy Joe to some extent. Right. Just for clarity's sake, I'm not a big fan of that.
1: (laughs) 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 I see where it's almost an inevitability and I understand it, but... I don't come out of this trilogy episode being a fan of Abigail, certainly, and by proxy Sammy Joe. This is not a character I feel endeared by. Am
0: I wrong here? Is the greater Quantum Leap community a big Sammy Joe fan? I don't know. This is kind of what I was getting at early in the show. My recollection of this episode and watching it again didn't quite line up. What I liked about this show when I watched it for the first time way back when was how Mm -hmm. ambitious the storytelling was by comparison to a normal episode. The idea of skipping to three different eras in the same family and seeing those, it's great. Mm -hmm. The hosts that are chosen are perfect. Yeah, yeah. I think it all sits quite well in and of itself. But when you look at it in relation to the rest of Quantum Leap, that's where the holes start to show up. And Mm -hmm. the thing that sits the least comfortably for me is, again, this, I can't even say it's the notion, it's something they're beating you over the head with, this idea that Sammy Joe is a chosen one figure that we know now, on the back end of the series, we're never going to see a resolution for. Like, what is the point of all of that, right? Yeah. I think if you just pull Trilogy out and you have a very casual relationship with Quantum Leap and you just watch it on its own, I think it's pretty solid just from beginning to end and seeing oh by the end of it it all kind of clicks together it's like oh yeah laura was there she was there when violet died and she was in the house that night when the house caught fire and she's got those burn marks on her head you know it's yeah yeah and it's
1: great that she sees them Yes, you know, uh, Laura, Laura sees them a... from
0: from the beginning. And then by the end, she's like, I knew you would come back. You were supposed to marry my daughter. And she's remembering Sam. Yeah, that was cool. I love that, man. So on its that own, stuff, too. Yeah, I think on its own divorcing itself from the larger narrative is. Trilogy is a highlight of season five at the very least. It would be in the tops of season five for me.
1: In a vacuum, it definitely works with the exception of Sam's character
0: in episode two. We're talking about Not a very pretty, awkward. pretty substantial vacuum here because Sam acts so out of character in episode two of this. And yeah. again, she fine, but like <laughs> how many fine ass women has Sam leaped into situations with over the years you know yeah and women that uh, women that you didn't know at age 10
1: (laughs) (laughs) and women that he has things in common with there's the one where he's think he's a bounty hunter or a sheriff and he's trying to take that fugitive back to jail or something yes and he's like handcuffed to her for the whole episode and he hates her and they hate each other but by the end i think i like her and yeah you know that kind of thing They spend some time making you believe that a relationship could form there. And here it's just, hey, he he loves her. Listen to him. Listen to how much he loves her. Just, it's in his
0: voice. And you're just like, yeah, but why?
1: I can't get over that part.
0: How horny could he possibly have been? The leap right before that was Aaliyah, the evil (laughs) leaper, right? And they made out. And she fine. I don't get it. Sam was never this horny before.
1: You're right. It's it's written for its resolution. Yes. They needed us to believe that she's a chosen one style character. I, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but you make a compelling argument there. And on the whole, I'm not a big fan of chosen ones. I don't like chosen ones and I don't like wizards. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just put that out there now for anybody that already hates my take on things. You know. <laughs> I this don't like, like wizards. This is this like is the same energy. It says the same
0: energy as when I asked my wife. I was like, hey, "You want to watch Pirates of the Caribbean?" She's like, "I don't like movies with ghosts in them." And I was like, "I'm sorry."
1: <laughs> like I get it. That's get the take. I like ghosts, but no, I wizards and orcs. Wizards is not for me. Yeah. It's, uh, um, but yeah, and chosen one style stories like. Outside of Luke Skywalker, I can't really think of a. There's a lot of chosen one ones that I like, though. Neo? Like, I now, what about Neo? Just...
0: Okay, he got one good movie. <laughs>
1: that yeah, I'm an apologist for the other two. So. Okay, what about the fourth? Well, one? What about the fourth one, one of the two. Yeah, that was that's a real disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Neo, a good chosen one, I think. Neo, yeah, the first one, Neo, a good chosen one. I'm sure there are going to be exceptions to the rule, but I guess when I'm sitting down to write something, I'd rather there be
0: a motivation for my protagonist that is not just because. Wouldn't it be a downer? I think what Nate is saying is wouldn't it be a downer if we found out in season 3 of Poker Face that Natasha Leone was playing a chosen one character and that's why she's uh. got this skill. I need that motivation to be a, like there's got to be a reason. It can't yeah. just be because of some sacred scroll. I don't like sacred scrolls either. (laughs) (laughs) This is really good to talk about, Nate, because uh, I think it provides a good segue in terms of what we're going to be talking about on the next episode. Yeah. Obviously, we still got a a couple months until we're going to get new Quantumly. And we'll be filling the gap with some uh, hopefully fun and engaging conversations in the meantime. But, uh, Nate, what are we going to be talking about next time? Okay.
1: Well, I think it's probably 2019, I did a deep dive into Quantum Leap and actually wrote a treatment for a revival series. And we both knew this going in to episode one of our podcast, and I have purposefully avoided mentioning it because I didn't want to frame this entire season of Quantum Leap against, well, you know, in my story... (laughs) But now that we've seen what was offered, what this creative team came up with and what they decided to do, I thought I would share with anybody that's willing to listen what I had planned to do. And it's relatively in-depth. It's very in-depth. Did Uh, you happen to read it? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, you shared it with me. There's a place to link it below. I don't know if there is, but (laughs) I put it out there and-
0: uh, so you did, you did read it. I did read it, and I was like, wow, this is way more involved than what I always thought would be the pitch for a revival. Like, you really put a lot of thought into it. And that's why I think it's a good time to, to visit it, because obviously, for better or worse, the team that made New Quantum Leap has put a lot of thought into what this show is or is not going to be, I think. And what we've gotten so far is vastly different than what, you conceived. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good time to go in there and just put it out there without necessarily saying, oh, this is my idea is better than this or, or, That's or whatever. That's not the goal. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's just, just going to be a discussion about uh, one man who loves Quantum Leap <laughs> and what he thought a revival might look like a few years before we actually got one.
1: And just to preface again, this is all stuff that I did probably back in 2018, 2019. This is not. In any way, a reflection on what I've already seen and and a comparison to that. I just had some ideas based on the original series and specifically these three episodes. Yes, yes. There is a reason that we're covering these three, and it leans heavily into what I decided to do when bringing this show back.
0: I don't want to spoil anything, but it involves Larry Stanton and, believe it or mm-hmm. not, Wizards.
1: God, you gave it away. <laughs> and that's why I hate Wizards, because I pitched it to NBC and they said no. And I said, this show doesn't work without Wizards. You're like
0: the pendulum has swung away from Wizards.
1: <laughs> we're not into Wizards right now.
0: Uh, we're in zombie land yeah, right now. Yeah, I guess now. it's zombies. I don't know. What is the culture? I mean, I feel like we're swinging back towards Wizards. Um, Yeah, that's... I was going to say zombies were on the way out,
1: but Last of Us, I think, is pretty... Yeah. Those are zombie-like. Shroom-based
0: zombies, I guess. Yeah. I don't know much about that I show, guess maybe but... we're swinging back towards fungus. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where you the pop culture's You have to have going. been there at some point to swing back to it. <laughs> <laughs> I th- well, no, no. I mean, like, with Last of Us and the Super Mario Brothers movie, I mean, like, uh, fungus is everywhere okay. right Funguses. now, man. We, yeah. We're all about mushrooms and fungi right now, so... So anyway, yeah,
1: (laughs) um, there is when, as we go through this next episode, there is one relatively glaring hole in my pitch Hmm. that is kind of like the missing leg on the stool that makes this thing stand. Hmm. And I know what it is. And I'm hoping that as we go through it, you'll be able to solidify this for me. There's a hole that I want to bounce off of you and, uh, and see if we come up with something really solid, because I feel like it's a really solid pitch. I still really like some of the ideas that I came up with, but there's there's a piece missing that I can't quite square, Hmm. and hmm. I'm hoping that you can help me patch
0: that hole. We'll workshop it. We'll kick some ideas around. Yeah. Well, this will be a fun so, one. Yeah, look forward to that, folks. <laughs> Until then, guys, as always, feel free to reach out to us, The email address is ohboyqlpod at gmail.com. That's where you can send your thoughts about Trilogy. Tell us about how you would have responded if you suddenly found yourself in bed (laughs) with a person that you previously only knew as a 10-year-old. Your (laughs) 10-year-old. Your 10-year-old daughter. (laughs) (laughs) You can also find us on the Hellscape that is Twitter. I'm at CaptainBurn. That's C-A-P-T-N-B-E-R-N. And I'm at Action Nate. And other than that, folks, thanks for listening once again. Until next time, I'm Brian. And I'm Nate. And we'll see you in the waiting room.